0: Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live.
1: For me, working out what is hard is really having that drive and kind of like keep pushing and pushing. And I think that's more mental than just simply physical. Some people might think that working 60 hours uh, a week is enough, others 120. That equilibrium is really, really personal. So then it's it's a question of setting proper expectations. You got to set your expectation uh, properly and then put yourself in the right environment that matches your kind, your personality, you know. And finally, you have to properly communicate so that you can, you can manage all these demands, whether from above or from below.
0: What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd. And welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Mo T. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Mo underscore T. So this episode is going to be a departure from my normal format. Here's the deal. About three years ago, Kim and I were playing on the beach in Greece with Sophia. And up walks this ridiculously handsome guy with an even better body and starts playing catch with Sophia. And he's one of these guys that just has this like electricity about him. He like draws you in, you know, you know those people, right? He's one of them. So after a few minutes of talking with him, I became fascinated with how he's living life to the fullest. You know, in all these interviews that I do, the entrepreneurs have the work hard part of their life down pat. They own it. But few of them have the play hard part of their life down pat. Mo is the rare exception that has both. As we get into this interview, I learned from Mo some very specific strategies that allows him to serve the work hard and the play hard part of his life, which is exactly why I'm doing my 2019 mastermind. So I want to remind you that the key to get from where you are now to where you want to be is a mastermind, but it has to be the right mastermind though. I see all these pop-up masterminds everywhere. Many of them are very expensive and frankly, a giant waste of money if it's not a good fit for you. And that includes mine. So my mastermind is for six and seven figure entrepreneurs that spend more time working than they do playing and know that they need to level up their tribe to the next level. And frankly, it's for the people that are tired of the same old boring conferences and masterminds and they want something new, something different, something that fits where they are with their life now and the changes that they're looking for now. Plugging my mastermind into your year Put you immediately into an amazing tribe of people in insanely exciting locations around the world. So go to workhardplayhardpodcast.com forward slash masterminds and fill out the application. I've had the biggest personal and business breakthroughs when I'm having unique experiences around the world with a cool tribe that levels up my game, period, full stop. That's how I've made the biggest changes. So, look, it's an art to pull together 25 entrepreneurs and facilitate massive growth over the course of 12 months in different locations around the world. So this is a very specific skill set that you need to have, and you need to know exactly how to do this. And I do. So, I'm doing interviews for the 2019 spots that are still available. And what I take most seriously is finding the right 25 people. I need the best mix of personalities, ambitions, skill sets in diverse businesses. And I'm going to continue to interview until I find the right people. So I want you to get your application in. If you're an entrepreneur that's in the sixth Four seven-figure range, and you're ready to go to the next level, and you're ready to up-level your tribe, and you're ready to take that step in your business and your life, go to workhardplayhardpodcast.com forward slash mastermind. Again, it's workhardplayhardpodcast.com forward slash mastermind. I want to see your application jump on a phone call with you and hear all about your goals and see... If you're a perfect fit to come with us to Boston, St. Petersburg, Russia, and Italy. So imagine, how cool would it be to mastermind your goals with us in Russia during the White Knights celebration or over a glass of champagne in a villa in Tuscany? Just go to workhardplayhardpodcast.com forward slash mastermind. Okay, this episode with Mo T is freaking gold. Sit back, listen, enjoy it. Know that he's not somebody who has a book. He's not somebody who's doing conferences or seminars. He's just a guy that I found interesting on the beach that I wanted to share with you. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Mo T. Mo, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. How are you? It's been, uh, it's been a
0: while. It's been a while. You know what, man? I am super ridiculously excited to do this. I've been waiting to do this for a while. So this episode is going to be a bit of a departure from most of the shows that I typically do because most of the people that I interview want to play hard, but really they just work hard. You play hard, and work hard. So (laughs) just giving that context for people, I want to tell people who have no idea who you are a little bit about how we met. So Mo and I met a few years ago in Greece. So let me set the stage for you. Imagine being in one of the most beautiful settings with your wife, your baby, and along comes this tall, ridiculously handsome guy with a statue-like body. And he gives your little baby a ball to play with. My wife, she stops in her tracks. I give him the middle finger. And we've been friends ever (laughs) since. Oh, my gosh, (laughs) You are the man. So, all right. So what we're going to do is we're going to deconstruct a little bit about how you play in a minute. But first, I want to get some context and some background. So... Mo is short for Mohammed, is that right? That's right, exactly. So, uh, <clears throat> I'm originally from North
1: Africa and uh, and then my family decided to move to Canada. Yeah, that was a huge change in terms of, at least from a weather perspective. Back uh, back in the 90s, unfortunately, uh, North Africa, specifically Algeria was going through some tough times. And yeah, so we moved to Montreal, you know, we speak French, so like let's uh, let's make the move. And, uh, so yeah, ever since I was really looking forward to, uh, to the move because, uh, I remember back in the days I used to watch, uh, what is it called? Beverly Hills 92 or 102, <laughs> whatever. So, like, pretty
0: close, Nine, 90210, not bad. <laughs> you
1: know, so yeah, I was looking forward to like, it, from, from an Algerian perspective, going to Canada, it's kind of like the same as going to the U S or like looking forward to go to college and all that stuff. So, uh, so yeah, it was very, very exciting, huge change from a cultural perspective. And then, uh, obviously the weather, the culture and yeah. So ever since I, uh, I basically, uh, got into, uh, uh school studying and, uh,
0: And yeah, I started my career. How old were you when you moved from Algeria? I was 15. Okay, so you were already a teenager. All right. So what sort of things did you do with your parents when you were, let's say, 10 to 15 years old in Algeria? Just to give people a perspective.
1: Things that I would be doing with my family. Well... Uh, my mom was a flight attendant so uh, so whenever we would have a chance to go and travel go to Europe, Paris uh, used to go to Geneva a lot interestingly I don't know why but like my uncle used to send me there a lot there was a lot of beach activities you know uh, basically as a Mediterranean uh, country was uh, uh, the beach culture is definitely I would say if I close my eyes and think about my childhood it's definitely uh, the hot sand and the uh, and uh, the salty water and the food that my mom would prepare you know so uh yeah these are the kind of activities the other activity which i didn't like that much was uh, going to the supermarket uh, the souk as we call it's basically uh you know for westerners these are amazing experiences whenever they go to morocco or you know it's those uh places where it's full, full of people, uh, buying, uh, vegetables and like just going from left and right. And I used to hate that experience because uh, simply I didn't like the crowds and that, but yeah, but it's definitely part of a family activity, I would say.
0: Well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta push in a little bit on the souk. What was it about the souks? Was it just that there were so many people that were around
1: you? Yeah, it's just, I was just not interested in buying potatoes and and, and vegetables. And yeah, I mean, so many people go left and then wait. And to be honest, I think this is a very similar kind of feel. When I think about it now, it was the same feel when I would go with my girlfriend, even in Montreal and go shopping. I think that's the issue. It's not the souk itself. It's going shopping with other people when you're not shopping yourself And you just have to sit there and wait. And I think that's, that's the, that was the
0: main issue. So it was just boring. It was boring. I I get it. I get it. My uh, my friend, uh, my friend, Darren, who, you know, uh, he calls it uh, the man chair whenever he goes (laughs) shopping, he, he looks for the man chair. So (laughs) I tell you when I was in Morocco, I was in the souks and I remember the call to prayer, hearing the, for the first time, the call to prayer and watching all of the shops uh, close. You know, they would just close, you know, five times a day or however many hours they were, they were doing the call to prayer while they were working. It It is indeed five. Yeah, it's five. It's just, uh, it was so scary. It was like, I, I, I hate to use the word scary, but it felt scary to me.
1: No, no, definitely. I mean, uh, I would say you know the the Muslim world is more, I would say, uh, attached to religion. It's more present in the daily life. So yeah, as as a Westerner, you get there and like, whoa, what's going on, you know? And me, like, I, I can see the both cultures. You know, I spent fifteen years in Algeria and then fifteen in Canada, and yeah, it's kind of like I can see both perspectives and when i go back to algeria i'm also kind of not shocked but like i realize i'm like whoa they they mention the word god much more often than than what we do like in canada you know it's just there it's kind of like automatic so yeah the same thing for the prayer you know and and now i uh, i live in istanbul actually and uh, it's it's the same thing though the shops here they don't close and maybe like friday Basically, the Friday prayer is very special, you know. But uh, other than that, uh, they keep business uh, businesses open.
0: In what ways do you feel connected to the Algerian culture?
1: Huh, that's a very good question. You know, fifteen years is enough time to to kind of like uh, develop ties with the with the with the culture. And and then, interestingly, I also spent another fifteen in Canada. I left Canada afterwards, you know. But definitely, I feel I feel a connection to Algeria. Uh, but I think it's more of a, a Mediterranean, North African, you know. I would say, like, do I consider myself Algerian? Or do I consider myself African? Or do I consider myself Mediterranean? Or do I consider myself a Muslim, you know? So these are like all different angles where I could see myself. And I think in the end, it's a much more... I see myself more of a Mediterranean. So that's how, uh, Algerian I see myself, you know? And when I say Mediterranean, it's, it's, it's about the culture of like, uh, being with people, uh, sitting down and have a coffee and chat for hours or have long, you know, dinners. And, uh, it's a very people oriented culture, I would say.
0: Yeah, for sure. What did you think you were going to be in high school? I was thinking of becoming a pilot
1: and, uh, that was because my mom was a flight attendant, my uh, stepfather was a pilot, and we lived in this kind of like compound that was just basically full of people employed by the the Algerian airlines, so my world was just about you know uh, the Algerian airlines and it was about pilot and everybody was just kind of linked to, to that company in a way. So, so it was a natural tendency for me to, to think that I would be a pilot one day.
0: You know, I'm starting to I'm starting to piece together your life here because I can, I can see how, you know, having a mom as a flight attendant and a stepdad as a pilot, uh, being around the beach culture, being around the souks, the Algerian lifestyle. Now the Canadian lifestyle, you put it together and, 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 uh, we have Mo here for sure. (laughs) So, you know, having spent a good chunk of your life from, you know, the beaches to freezing cold Montreal, what feels more you, Canadian, being Canadian or being Algerian? In other words, which one feels more home? Maybe that's a better better way to put it.
1: Hmm. That's a very good question. Uh, I think home is always closer to, to the last, like the most recent experiences, you know? So in other words... It would be easier for me to 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 live in Canada than living in Algeria, simply because these were the last few years that I spent there. You know, I think uh, as time, it's a question like uh, I would say evolution throughout my life. You know, but you cannot take out the Algerian in me. That's definitely uh, uh, not possible. Uh, but at the same time, the beauty of being Canadian is that. It's 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 a multicultural society, especially Montreal, and that's the thing that I miss actually in that city. Uh, I love how multicultural it is. You know, just to give you an example, when there's a World Cup going on, every game, like you would see flags from like you know Spanish flags. Uh, Another day we'll see the Italians and, and it's just, it's so, uh, multicultural and this is kind of similar, I would say to New York. And I actually spent half a year in New York, which I loved, uh, and I loved particularly that multicultural side of it. So uh, long story short, yeah. I mean, uh, as an Algerian living in Montreal, it was kind of like, uh, some sort of, um, I didn't have to become fully Canadian because being Canadian is is also about being different, and that's that's the, that was the beauty of it. You know, you get to Montreal and you're accepted as you know it's so multicultural. You are accepted as a, as as a Canadian, as a Montrealer, uh, even though you have a different background.
0: I love Montreal. I spent uh, quite a bit of time there because I grew up in Queens in New York and it wasn't that far, you know? So we'd go and stay at a place called the Chateau Frontenac. You familiar with that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. Definitely, uh, Chateau Frontenac, uh, it does uh, ring the bell.
0: Well, you say it way better than I do. You are fluent in English. I I sound like a guy from Queens saying the Chateau Frontenac. (laughs) I mean, you know, you're like Fultonel. Oh, no. you, uh, you are fluent in English and French and Spanish and Arabic and Portuguese. Uh, how's your Turkish? Turkish is getting there. You know, I'm learning and uh,
1: I'm taking the opportunity here to, to learn because I think it's, it's I would say, uh, it would be a shame to not take advantage of being here to actually learn a language. So, But I would say it's the most challenging language. Uh, that I had to learn because it's a completely you know coming from a different uh family
0: of languages so uh getting there slowly how long are you going to be in istanbul actually i'm uh i'm i have a
1: permanent role here i would be uh within the bank so i would say as long as it's uh, it's working out you know if something if, if uh, but I will always be open to other opportunities. So I could stay here forever, uh, or move, uh, keep moving. You know, I've been moving for the last eight years, uh, or or uh, twenty three years if you want to count since I left Canada. So yeah, so we'll see. But I think I'm planning to stay here for at least two three years and then uh, reassess. You know, reassess all my options.
0: What do you like most, and what do you like least about living in Turkey? Or Istanbul.
1: Well, what do I like least is definitely uh, traffic. You know, I mean, uh, there's like 20 million people living here. I don't know how many cars they got, and it's it's ridiculous. You know, and uh, I actually ride a scooter to get to work. It's uh, insanely dangerous, uh, but I'm glad I'm kind of like I'm an experienced driver, and uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm super careful. As a car driver, I know that. You know, it's hard to see uh, scooters. So I'm, I'm, I keep that uh, in mind. And I also, given the experience that I had taking buses here uh, before buying my scooter, I know how bus drivers can be crazy in making their uh, turns. So I'm, I have to be super, super careful. In terms of what do I like the most, I would say uh, the food. It's it's really, you know, uh, I love Turkish food. And there's a lot of, uh, I would say, The Turkish food that we see outside of Turkey represents, I think, only maybe uh, a quarter, not even, of what we see. So when you come here, you actually discover so many other things that they have that is not necessarily like exported to the world. So uh, really, the food here is amazing.
0: Now, I don't believe that you eat anything because I've seen your body and there's there's no way that you put any kind of food in that thing because you can't have a 12-pack and stick a you know, stick any kind of broccoli in there. I mean, what what are you doing in that department? Give me, give me the, uh, give me, give me the high level here. What's uh, like? How much are you eating? Are you eating all day long, or are you really? Tell me the truth. Are you are you careful? <laughs> are you careful what you eat? Do you not drink a lot? What's the What's the secret here?
1: Ah, oh, that's a very good question. And I think throughout all these years, uh, I think it comes down to. Uh, one element is genetics i think uh you know uh it's just the way we are built and uh that's something that we cannot change now talking about the things that we do control uh in terms of food and and, and fitness this is it's a very simple equation you know what comes in minus what comes out and then in the end uh, is it a surplus or a negative if it's a surplus what it ends up uh, as fat if it's uh if it 's a deficit well uh, that means you 're burning fat, so it 's super simple there are no uh, no magic formulas, and yeah it's it 's no pain, no gain so so yeah, so now, to get ready to the uh, for the uh, beach body, definitely uh, we have at some point to suffer, you know, so uh, a few months before uh, heading to Mykonos, definitely i I put in the efforts. And by efforts, I mean cutting on food and, uh, you know, skipping meals or uh, my own little trick, personal little trick is I call it the six egg white uh, diet. It's kind of extreme, but basically for, uh, you know, several weeks, uh, I would basically skip dinner and only have six egg whites and and then go to bed. Why six egg whites? Because uh, it's around 100 calories. And, uh, and it fills you up because when you're uh, dieting, you when to cut fat, the goal is to eat something that will fill you up. And, um, and also it has proteins. So, um, so we're talking about minimization of uh, muscle loss and I'm talking about muscle loss because on the other hand, I will be doing a lot of cardio, a lot of running. Uh, and, uh, the problem with that is that it comes with uh, potential muscle loss. Definitely you would be burning fat, but there is also you will be losing some muscles. You want to minimize that. So yeah, so there's no magic formula. As I said, part of it is genetics, but the other side, definitely, it's a question of like controlling your food and and and, uh, and doing some some cardio and keep working out to minimize the loss of of muscles.
0: How much uh, how much working out are you doing uh, during the week every day?
1: Yeah, except Sunday, I take one day off. Uh, but I work out uh, six days a week. Sometimes I do it twice. But when I say twice, it's like I work out in the morning and then I go back after work. But after work, I would be doing more of a simple activity, such as swimming or running. You know, uh, I wouldn't be able to do like weightlifting after work. Uh, it's just it requires not for me. The the difficulty is not about the uh, the the physical effort it's more of a mental effort for me working out. What is hard is really having that, uh, uh, you know, that drive and kind of like keep pushing and pushing. And I think that's more mental than just simply physical. So, yeah. So, so, uh, so are you intense
0: with the workout? In other words, your intensity scale of one to 10, are you, are you shooting for like, you know, an eight, nine in intensity when you're working out your personal intensity?
1: Yes. Uh, I would say, you know, my type of workout is like a, it's basically a circuit training, but mixed between basically heavy lifting and also, uh, like high, uh, cardio workout in the sense that it's a, it's a hit training. So, so I just kind of like do full body switch from one, uh, one exercise to another, but still it's with heavy, uh, weights, not, not, not just kind of like a cardio type of workouts.
0: So you're doing, so you have a couple of weight days and you have a couple of cardio days.
1: Well, not really. I actually do weights every day, but the cardio, I I, I do three times a week after my workout, like the circuit workout, I jump on the treadmill and I do a hit run. So like, basically we're talking about seven times, uh, for one minute I go at 18 kilometers an hour. I don't know how it is in miles, but anyways, I would say around 12 miles, I think an hour. And, uh, for one minute and then one minute rest, I do that seven times. So that's basically my, uh, I do that like three times a week. The the other six days, what I do, uh, the other three days, what I do uh, is more focused workouts, uh, where basically it's like, for example, this year, my goal is to get my legs much bigger. So I do like really focus on legs, you know? So I think you know, you, you need to have a workout of the whole body, but also at the same time, you need to have special sessions to focus on certain parts where you think you need to develop. As for normal cardio, like running, I do 10Ks a lot or, or swimming. Uh, these, you know, I do them after, like uh, in, uh, in the evening or like basically after work. I do that like three times a week or something. It depends on that, my level of, uh, of energy. And talking about that, actually, I think it's important to to listen to yourself. You know, when you see that you're tired or don't push yourself too much, maybe you could adjust your workouts to not, you know, the benchmark should be always like, oh yeah, this is better. Going to the gym for 15 minutes is better than sitting on the couch, you know? So I always end up doing something. But if I go, I shouldn't kill myself because that will really uh, demotivate me for next time. So we have to kind of like adjust uh, our uh, intensity level based on uh, on the way we're feeling you know especially mentally as i said before physically is one thing but mentally uh, mental strength i think is is key and it has to be considered
0: how is the training environment for you in istanbul in other words good gyms good equipment that kind of stuff
1: definitely pretty good you, you know you have you have like different levels in terms of quality and prices uh, but yeah, I really, the one thing that I appreciate is like having towels and stuff already provided, uh, because really, I mean, one, one of the things I really didn't like managing in, in like normal gyms where you have to bring your towel to to shower, you know, is like, you know, coming out of the gym, and your, your towel is all wet. How are you going to manage it? You know, getting to work. I mean, I work at an office and I have my wet towel, you know, so often I had to kind of like hide it and put it somewhere so that it dries. But yeah, simple details like that. Uh, I really, really appreciate. Uh, but me specifically now, uh, my gym is actually in the same kind of like, uh, it's kind of a compound. It's, I live in a condo now and, um, we have the gym provided here. So it's really, really practical. Wake up in the morning, hit the gym, come back home. It's it's like a three minute walk, you know, and then uh, yeah, shower uh, at home actually, and uh, and then get to
0: work. All right. So now let's let's switch gears. I want to talk about your MBA. So not only do you have the body to go with it, but you also have the MBA. All right. So let's <laughs> let's talk about this. You got your MBA in Spain, right? Yes. 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 Well, my first question is, why did you want to get an MBA? Yeah. Very good question. Uh, one of the reasons, uh, we
1: want to do an MBA is, uh, to be honest, frankly speaking, it's because you're lost. You want to stop and think, you know, uh, you know, we talk about career switching, you know, and, and, um, yeah. So basically I was a moment in my life. I was like, what do I want to do? You know, I, I, did my CPA in Canada and I also did my CFA. I was thinking of getting into asset management and uh, and then I was like, I'm not sure that I want to do this, you know. So so uh, after all these experiences, you know, both professionally and also personally, because I, I spent six months in, in Latin America doing volunteer work, I, I I decided to do my MBA in Spain, thinking of uh, moving back to uh, to Brazil because uh, that school uh, has a pretty good network uh, in Brazil. And that was one of the reasons why I actually decided to do my MBA in Barcelona. And to be honest, I was not sure what I wanted to do. And uh, I wanted something within finance that, you know, it's kind of like a mix of interpersonal skills and finance languages. I wanted to kind of like leverage all of that. Uh, and then, uh, boom, an opportunity uh, came up. Uh, basically, City. Uh, city. Citibank uh, was looking for people with uh, kind of like a, a diverse background, speaking different languages, who are willing to travel and who traveled a lot. And uh, yeah, so I joined Citi in this uh, global rotational program. And and the good thing about it was that I didn't have to choose any specific group to join because, as I said, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So yeah, so I joined Citi, uh and I was able to you know the spent some time in new york uh and then i ended up in istanbul and then madrid so it gave me that opportunity of like keep traveling but still working uh, and and learning and also making money because at some point uh, you know you got to finance all those moves so yeah so that's how i ended up becoming a banker which a lot of people don't really <laughs> they don't see me as uh as a banker when they meet me especially in mykonos but yeah that's uh that's the truth. Well, you know
0: you've you've got you've got two sides to your life. Apparently, you know you got your uh, you you've got your viral video dancing in first class with your model friends side, and then then and by the way, if you, if you guys have not followed him on Instagram, I strongly re- recommend. <laughs> I will watch sometimes just for the people listening. Sometimes he will video the ceiling of a nightclub that he's at, and somehow my wife and I are fascinated by that. And I cannot figure out his art, but somehow his art comes through his Instagram. So I recommend that you check it out. <laughs> uh, yeah. so I want to I talk to you a little bit more about Spain. So when you were living in Spain, what was it about Spain that you loved the most about it? Because, you know, I was just there in Barcelona and I, I just, I fell in love with it. It was such a great town, but, uh, but I'm sure living there is different, right? Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh I mean going on vacation somewhere it's just, you know, you see the surface but then uh experiencing it from the inside is definitely uh, something. And and I and I've seen Mont- uh, Montreal, I mean Barcelona and Madrid, you know, and it's like a classic or Real Madrid versus Barca. And uh that's like the classic question like what's better, Madrid versus uh Barcelona and uh, There's no answer to that question. Uh, I I love the beach and everything, which Madrid lacks. But at the same time, Madrid has that great kind of like city lifestyle. It has the the people are kind of like more, it has that more permanent feel. Whereas Barcelona, you feel that it's so, it's full of tourists. So it kind of like changes uh, the whole experience a little bit. Uh, But what did I like the most about Spain in general? it's, it's basically, as I told you before, I'm a Mediterranean, you know, and that's something that always stayed with me. Even though I left Algeria, I was 15 and I spent 15 years in Montreal, my Mediterranean side like was still there. And, and and I just felt that I need to go back. I need to go back to the Mediterranean. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's how I ended up, that effect, definitely affected my decision uh, to make the move to Spain. And it's definitely one of the things that I appreciated the most about Spain, you know, Spaniards, they love, uh, they love life, you know, they enjoy life. Yes, they do work. I mean, you know, I've I worked in banking, and I can tell you that uh, it's, it's, it's hard work there, you know. But at the same time, they enjoy life you know outside of work they, they they like spending time with the family and the friends and, and as i said those long lunches and and uh, or dinners having a drink uh, with your pal and just discussing and chilling by uh, on the terrace and obviously enjoying the sunshine you know definitely uh, it's something that i really 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 appreciated the sun and also people saying good morning to you. They don't know you, you get to the elevator and, and, and they say good morning. It's part of the culture. It would be rude to not say good morning to, to the person you're with on the elevator. Definitely, I was, uh, I'll never forget that experience. And who knows, maybe I'll go back.
0: Well, all things being equal, if you, you know, if you made the same money and, you know, you, you were with the same company, if you had to choose now between Istanbul or Spain, or let's say Turkey and Spain, where would you live?
1: Ah, uh, it's a tough question because, uh, because one of the elements that affect uh, this whole question or the equation is, uh, is, uh, your friends, your close friends. And as you mentioned before, my model friend, as you call him, you know? He lives here in Istanbul. And, and when I was living in Spain, of course, I knew a lot of people. I have a lot of friends, especially doing business school in Barcelona. It meant that I knew a lot of people who lived in Madrid. But knowing a lot of people doesn't mean that these are the people you would be hanging, hanging out on a weekly basis. And these friends, they live here in Istanbul. I met them when I was here on rotation a few years ago. So, so yeah, I mean, in the end, I think uh, to answer that question... The question is not about the country itself, but if you tell me I would move my friends to Spain and also I would change the music. <laughs> I need to talk about the music in Spain. I love house music, as you know. And uh, uh-huh. in Spain, ah, David Guetta and, uh, and also the reggaeton is very, very, uh, very popular in the nightlife. So if you can change these two elements, my friends and putting more house music, I would definitely go for Spain.
0: (laughs) This is such a great conversation. So I want to talk about lifestyle for a bit. You have by far the most fun life that I've ever seen. So there's people on Instagram that have a fun life, but then they're really sitting behind a computer. But then there's the other people like you who actually capture what they do on Instagram proving that they really do have a fun life. And I've been on both sides of that with you. I've seen it in person and I've seen it on Instagram. And I will tell you that you work hard and you play hard. You know, you've got amazing friends, you travel the world. Like I said earlier, your dancing videos on airplanes have now gone viral. How have you always always prioritized fun like this or... Was it you know was it something that came from you, or did your parents teach you the value of having fun?
1: I think it comes from the inside, you know, from you, but at the same time, your family uh, is the one that kind of like encourages you or at least allows you to do that, so they don't set you limits on the one hand, and then the question is, do they encourage you? And I remember as a kid, my family used to always encourage me to dance, you know. So obviously they saw me dancing as a kid because that just came from me, uh but then at the same time they saw that and they were encouraging me, you know. I and I would say my 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 source of the whole dancing world for me was Michael Jackson, you know, at the time uh even till now, you know, and people kind of like recognize the, some Michael Jackson moves that sometimes I do. So yeah, I, I always remember my family pushing me to dance. And I think that's, uh, that's definitely, uh, now talking about dancing as in coming from me, I think that came from my mother, you know, so, so I think part of it is uh, some sort of like genetic. And I know my mom always loves, you know, has always shown me that love for music and and dancing. Uh, and apparently that's how uh, she met my father. They were apparently dancing on a table back in the days in Algeria in the summer beach and, uh,
0: and yeah, so so I think uh, that's the source. Wow, I'm really piecing this together now. <laughs> I just made a note, Dan- dancing on the table from mom. I love it. All right, so a lot of people get super stressed when it comes to achieving their goals in life. And you seem to have a much more laid back way about it, but still have amazing accomplishments under your belt. How do you think about the work-life balance?
1: It's definitely sometimes it is challenging. I think work-life balance is a question of like first of all, each person has his, own, his or her own balance. So some people might think that working sixty hours uh, a week is enough. Others one twenty. That 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 equilibrium is really really personal. So then it's uh then it's a question of setting proper expectations. Uh, so if, if there is a mismatch between what you expect and reality, then definitely you got to make cer- certain decisions and, and make the change. The other point is a question of setting limits. You know, people keep asking you to do things and sometimes you have to, to learn how to say no, or at least, at least to understand really, is this a priority? You don't want to ask people at work, when do you need this? Most of the time they say as soon as possible. Yeah, but what does that mean? You know, when you have like ten things on your to-do list, so which one uh, you gotta be prioritizing, and which one is not? So when you have different bosses to to report to, different demands. So really, I think um, you gotta set your expectation uh, properly, uh, and 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 then put yourself in the right environment that matches your kind, your personality. You know, and finally you have to properly communicate so that you can, you can manage all these demands, whether from above or from
0: below. When you leave work and you take a trip, like how many times a year now are you going to Mykonos? It seems like you've been there for three months.
1: Yeah. Mykonos, I go there twice and I'm actually going back next weekend. Actually, that's, good <laughs> <one>. <laughs> you are always there. Uh, I mean, it has something magical, uh, I definitely love that island. You know, I love traveling, discovering the world, but summertime for me, it's Mykonos time. You know, it's, uh, that's also another kind of balance that you can find, you know, people are like, why don't you go discover other islands or other? I'm like, no, I have the, you know, two months in the year in the summer. I like to, I like to enjoy my time in Mykonos and then i have the rest of the year to go discover other other parts of the world so there totally there's uh, no problem with that you know as long as i am happy and as i said next weekend they're closing the island and uh, some friends are like yo mo you got to come we got to close the island together so i'm like okay <laughs>
0: I mean, you and I, like, I could not have repeated that. I hear, I hear the exact same thing. Like, why don't you go somewhere else? I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want it. It's so great. Exactly. You know, it's uh, when you know you're
1: fully, fully guaranteed satisfaction. It's like, why do you want me to take a risk? I have other moments, other occasions where I would take the risk. But right now, this is what I want. I know it. And that's it.
0: What are some things that you do other than going to Mykonos all the time? What are some things that you do that people disagree with or think you're crazy? Uh,
1: Taking uh, risks while snowboarding. I love going uh, off piste. I'm I'm a risk taker, but I think it's a calculated risk or maybe this is just my rationalization. But anyway, so yeah, snowboarding, going off piste, definitely something. Sometimes people would tell me not to do. Uh, riding my scooter in Istanbul in itself is, uh, there's a lot of people uh, who simply don't agree with that. Uh, The other thing, I think the biggest thing that I remember that people didn't agree with me is, is quitting my job back in the days in Canada and just go to Colombia and Brazil and do volunteer work and, 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 uh, and just travel. For me, it was the first time that I decided to do something where it was good for me. I believed it was good for me. And my, my family and close friends did not agree. You know, I had taken many decisions before, but it was with the support of the family. It's like, mom, I'm doing my CPA. Great. Mom, I'm going to work for a big four uh, accounting firm. Great. You know, it's it's something that is good for me. But at the same time, I, I got the okay uh, from uh, from my mom and and but the time that 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 day when I decided to quit my job and and go to Colombia and imagine my mom she's like, look, I we come from an undeveloped country and you're going to another undeveloped country you know that this is the thing like to all the immigrants out there they're gonna understand it's like parents immigrant parents they 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 look for their ch- children you know and yeah they have their own mentalities and and. And and us, children of immigrants, we have to to deal with that, you know, and I understand the differences in mentalities and, and kind of like they're, I would say, more risk averse. But at some point you have to say, no, this is for me and I am sorry if you don't agree. And then a few years later, she told me that that was a great decision that I had made, you know. So, so in the end, really, I mean, it was not really that crazy to do what I did, but look today, uh, you know, it, that gave me the opportunity to learn so many things, improve my language skills, be able to connect to different people. And, and, and now today, professionally speaking, this is valued even within my profession because I work people person, you know, people business, you know, I work with clients and, and different backgrounds traveling around and, and, and now I'm using all of that, all that craziness at the time it was considered craziness. I am using using this for uh, for my in my job.
0: Do you think it's because your mom spent the better part of her life in you know places that weren't, let's say, as first world as you did, say in Canada? In other words, you know, you spent a you know you were 15 years old by the time you were living in you know Montreal, but for her. Um, she spent the better part of her life in environments that were not as first-worldly. So she probably didn't want to keep you in that. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, uh, she definitely thinks that, all right, we moved to uh, to Canada, a great country, well-developed, super safe. And it has all these advantages, you know? But that's the thing. I mean, it's like, I wouldn't expect her to fully understand. and And this is a perfect example of like, that I usually give to people when they talk about Oh if I were super if I were a billionaire I would I would do this and that I'm like actually you cannot say that you cannot put yourself in that theoretical position and and think through think about that situation with your current uh values and way of thinking you know so in other words it's when you look at other people and they make certain decisions it's really hard for you to imagine and understand sometimes because they're in a different situation, they have different needs. You know, they achieved these. It's like the Maslow pyramid of needs. You know, once you reach certain uh, certain levels, then you, you need to challenge yourself differently, and you don't necessarily value the, the same things anymore. And that's that's the thing. My mom, she 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 would think of of this as like survival. You need to survive. You need. But look, mom, I I I studied now in Canada. I, I have experience working in like top firms. Now I have different needs. I don't, I'm not in a survival mode anymore. I'm more in, in, ex, in, explo, exploration mode. I, I am, I'm able now to take more risks, you know, and it's, it's, there's always a safety net anyways, because seriously, all these experiences are valued in the end. So I can always go back and, and, uh, and I will find there's always a market for, for what I've been doing now.
0: You know, you have an interesting mix. You have a you have a very, you know, CPA, MBA, CFL sort of like, you know, asset manager banker sort of logic that you, you know, even even when you talk about nutrition, you know, there's a surplus, there's a deficit, you know, very logical, left brainy. But you also seem to follow your gut. So do you think that you listen more to your head? or your gut, or do you think that you have a comment, or your heart, or do you have a combination of both when you're processing things?
1: Hmm. I think uh, definitely you got it right. I mean, I'm a super logical person. And, uh, and I kind of like, I try to always optimize or think of options and you know, scenarios. And let's say, you know, I'm moving to Istanbul, what are the different scenarios? You know, which one has an upside, et cetera, et cetera. So, I think once I kind of like have that safety net set up, then I feel that I can let my heart, you know, make other decisions. As long as if I fall, there's a safety net. So, I think it's a combination of both.
0: A little bit of both. Yeah. All right. So, what I want to do as we slowly start to wrap up, this is a rapid fire round. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you would like. It's basically a First thing that comes to your mind, rounds. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? I think uh, adaptability in languages. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Uh, the Turkish lira. <laughs> what keeps you up at night? The Turkish lira again. What's the one thing that you want to get better at? Certain
1: levels of stress especially at work and how to manage people during that time.
0: What book have you reread the most?
1: I think it was uh the the 100-year-old man who climbed out the window and
0: disappeared. What's one thing that you own and probably should throw out but never will? I don't know if I could mention this on podcast
1: but uh, it was My mom has my schmuck. She kept my schmuck uh, all these years and she still has it. It's disgusting. But if you ask me, I would throw it. I think uh, I would say, no, keep it. Might as well keep it.
0: Do you know? I don't know what a schmuck is.
1: Uh, Basically, the schmuck is, uh, you know, the piece of skin that is cut uh, from the Oh, you're kidding. (laughs) Yeah. That's called a schmuck? Yes. That's where the word schmuck comes. (sighs) Oh, my
0: God. I never knew that.
1: (laughs) I think it's a Yiddish Yiddish word, you know? So I think that that's where it comes from.
0: Wow. That's (laughs) amazing. I've been calling people schmucks for years. (laughs) I feel like such an idiot. Wow. That's so cool. Okay. Last question. Well, actually, there's two more questions. The second to last is, if you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for or nothing that you speak about, and it could be on anything that you like to do or anything that you have a passion for or really anything else at all, what would it be?
1: I would say something related to music, but in more of, you know, people know that I love music and I love dancing to it, but I think it would be more pushing it towards uh, production.
0: Mm okay not so easy i took a stab at that once in my life not so easy no last question i have for you we're going to change it up a little bit what one question would you like to ask me as you know
1: as i told you i'm uh i've I've, I've been an immigrant for more than half of my life you know i love traveling and uh And I ended up now with two passports, uh, which, you know, the Canadian one definitely has helped me in my traveling. Now talking about passports, is it true? And I heard this. Is it true that you actually travel to Greece without a passport?
0: No, it is not true. You must have a passport. In fact, I can't even go to Canada without a passport. You cannot. I cannot. Makes sense. All right. Yeah. There's a rumor I out there. There's that, that rumor I'm going to dispel right here. So now look, this is, what, this is why I do this because now you taught me about schmucks and I taught you about, I taught you about passports. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I cannot thank you enough. I, I consider it such a pleasure to, uh, to have you in my life, call you a friend. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening?
1: I think there's the one thing that I always recommend to people is uh, really listen to that little voice inside you. That's all. That's all I got to say.
0: I'm going to take it. What a beautiful way to end. Mo, thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and I'll see you in Mykonos. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game